back again. Thank you. Thank you for joining today. I'm Lucas Alvarez, and I'm here with Meg Link, and together we're hosting May's AIGA Atlanta Insider. We're both on the in-house committee for the Atlanta chapter, and I currently work for GNA, a sustainability consultant, helping companies navigate their way to sustainability. And I'm a freelance designer who does a lot of in-house work. Awesome, yes. So today we have an awesome interview with you for you today with Keith Hancock. Uh, he's a graphic designer based in Atlanta, Georgia, who's been working in the film industry for now for a decade. Uh, his work can be seen in projects such as Stranger Things, which we'll get into, The Vampire Diaries, and Loki. He's currently working on a feature with Apple centered around Beanie Babies. So that's an interesting one that we'll hear about as well. But besides Apple, he has been working on projects for Netflix, Disney, Marvel, uh, Legendary Entertainment, Bloomhouse, and Amazon Streaming. So excited to hear more about how he got into the industry and about uh, the work itself. Um, uh, we're going to find out the differences between the film industry's in-house team and how that differs from a lot of the other companies that we've, we've talked to in an interview before. Uh, so you can find out here what you can expect if you want to work with some of film's biggest brands. But before we dig into the conversation, as usual, we want to thank our Atlanta AIGA in-house committee. Uh, we're small but mighty. If you work in in-house or if you have a vested interest in in-house and want to get involved, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my information will be found on AIGA.com uh, and I'm currently the chair of the board and the best person to contact to learn more about it. So feel free to reach out to me and look forward to hearing from anybody uh, and just getting feedback or if you wanna get interested and involved. Uh, but for now, let's uh, hand it over to Amy Mangan for our market minutes. Hello everyone. I'm sorry, I couldn't find babysitting today. Um, may the fourth be with you all. I'm here to share the May 4th market minute. I can't believe we're talking about May already. It's crazy. Um, I can share some info that's not even on a slide because it literally came out last night and this is so bonkers. 11.5 um, million jobs open in March. Um, these are the new BLS numbers, by the way. Um, this number is crazy though. 4.5 million people quit their jobs proactively in the US in the month of March. It's the highest number of quit rate ever like in the history since we've been tracking it. So totally bonkers. And then 6.7 million people were actually hired and filled jobs uh, throughout the month of March as well. So um, pretty crazy, market's still very hot. <laughs> And we can talk about that a little bit more specific to Atlanta on the next slide. Um, so a lot of data going on here, but basically I went to the Indeed um, Insights, which allows us as recruiters kind of behind the scenes to pull some information and data about what we're seeing specific to our market in Atlanta, and even more specifically with the title graphic designer. So that's this data you're looking at here. Um, that number of 8,000 plus job seekers. So that does not mean there are 8,000 people unemployed and looking for jobs. It just means that 8,000 plus people clicked on jobs throughout the month of March. This data is always a little bit delayed. Um, and so what's interesting about that is we know the unemployment rate is very low. It's for Atlanta and graphic design specifically is showing at about 3.9%. Um, but anyway, that's close to full employment. What that tells us is that a lot of people who are gainfully employed are proactively looking for work, which we also know from the national quit rate, right? So 
if companies are starting to say, hey, guess what? We're going to start going back in or whatever. That's when people start clicking on jobs, okay? And that doesn't mean they're only clicking on jobs in Atlanta. It means they're based in Atlanta and clicking on jobs anywhere, potentially. Um, the other thing that's interesting on the right under that trends, that trend line, what that shows us is that there are less than 0.3 people, job seekers available per one job order being posted. So there's a lot more jobs than there are people. That's what I'm telling you. And I've been telling you for months, but here's the, here's the proof. So if you're playing hardball with candidates, if you're not paying market rates, if you're not giving your current employees raises or flexibility or ability to work from home, that's where you're going to start seeing the attrition occur down the road for these 8,000 plus people in Atlanta who are looking for jobs online. Okay, on the next slide, um, we are talking more nationally, and this is for all um, lines of business, not just specific to creative or marketing, but 80% of companies are telling us that they're planning to hire fully or at least partially remote throughout 2022. I wish we would break this number down a little bit more because to me, there's a really big difference between being 100% remote and even having to go on site even just one day a week, which I know for a lot of people is a big inconvenience. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Then 57% of C-suite leaders are saying they're going to continue to utilize uh, work from home options as a way to retain and attract top talent. Um, down below, this was a survey that we did and the respondents were able to choose multiple options. So you might see some overlap, but basically when companies are allowing for fully remote uh, workers, they're finding over half are finding that their resume, they're getting resumes with better skill set match. Um, many were able to hire uh, candidates who met every single must have, which is really unusual. If you're trying to fill every must have skill in your own city, it's going to be very difficult to find the talent and actually fill the job with the unemployment rate and the lack of talent available um, that we're seeing. So if you expand that, you might actually have a chance to fill in the job with the right talent. 45% um, are saying that they're seeing more room for compensation flexibility. Obviously, that's got to do with being able to hire people from a market with a lower um, cost of living. And then 34% said they found their hiring process to be shorter. We just um, heard some internal data recently that I'll share with you. So over 80% of the marketing, creative, and digital contractors working for Robert Half are doing so fully remotely right now and have been for some time. And 75% of the clients who are open to remote are saying that their jobs are being filled faster. So that number 34%, I don't know, it's a little bit maybe older and it's for all lines of business, but when we're talking creative specifically, 75% are like, heck yes, I fill job in like a day compared to like two, three weeks for just a contractor, right? And on the next slide, um, one of the things that everyone's being challenged with is just retention. And one way to really focus on that is making sure that you're showing gratitude to your current employees and um, making sure that you're spending time with them and not only focused on, oh my gosh, we have so much work to do, or, oh my gosh, we have all these open positions. Like you need to take care of your current people too, or you're going to have even more openings. So I'm not going to go through all of those, but if you'd like this report, it's a free, free resource to you. So just ping me and I can certainly send you the link. Um, but on the right is really what I want to show you is that almost 60% of companies are increasing compensation right now. And that's either through higher salaries and or bonuses. Um, 
it's a big, big number. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when they're going to backfill jobs uh, where people have left due to the great resignation, or they're getting new recs approved that they can expand their headcount, they're going to hire. And then they're finding that all the talent that's applying or coming in or being recruited for them is above where the current members of the team are being paid. And so then they will often come back to the recruiter and say, I can't pay these salary ranges or these rates, they're going to be higher than, you know, Susie, who's been here for 10 years. And <coughs> excuse me, I say, well, you better give Susie a raise real quick because Susie's probably getting calls from recruiters for the same kind of salary that this person is expecting, right? Um, and then, so we're seeing a lot of uh, salary adjustments through teams and um, smart leadership are putting in for uh, revisions to be able to uh, right-size the rest of their team for the market. 44% are allowing employees to work remotely and just kind of running through the rest of the list. Um, many are expanding and enhancing their professional development opportunities, um, increasing recognition efforts, whatever that looks like. I know at our company, we have a bunch of different things that, you know, you can get like different um, uh, prizes for and things that are pretty good. Like I got a Peloton, <laughs> saw them. Um, and um, accelerating promotions and job title changes. Um, letting employees choose their schedule and their hours, that's a big one. And then just generally alleviating workloads. When people are getting overworked is when they start looking. So if they're happy, if everything's chill, um, they're usually pretty good as long as they're being paid well and you know everything else is, is there that they're looking for. It's when they really start getting inundated and they're not able to enjoy their families or their weekend time or whatever it is, their, you know, their side gig then that's when they start to kind of really reach out and look for other opportunities. So a lot of companies are leveraging contractors and freelancers to help offset some of the load when they cannot get a new headcount approved. So if you want more info on any of this data, feel free to reach out to me. My contact info is there or there. And um, maybe Yoda says goodbye. Awesome. Thanks, Amy, as always. Uh, Always interesting to see the jobs uh, available and the increase in pay, uh, something to consider and think about at your current role still, even if you are happy, maybe it's a good time to ask for a raise. So thank you so much for that, Amy. Um, all right. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Heath. Uh, Heath, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure kind of catching up with you, discussing your journey and your design career so far. Uh, just to give everybody a little more background on you, uh, you attended Georgia State where you received your BFA in graphic design and you interned uh, for Adult Swim during that time when TV was not uh, Netflix only at, the, <laughs> at that time. Um, and fun fact about that, I actually met you there, which was awesome. Uh, so it was really great to catch up with you because I also got my BFA from Georgia State. But outside of design, uh, you focused on things like 3D concept art, as well as other creative projects with friends relating to film and other media. Uh, but before we hear all about that work, uh, it would be awesome if we could start with uh, the industry structure, because uh, it's really unique compared to most in-house jobs that we've interviewed. So if you could give us just a little background on who you are and how you landed your first job in the industry. Okay, um, yeah, so after I graduated school, um, I worked 
over the summer at a marketing agency. And that was like around 2011. And film was starting to get kind of busy in Atlanta. Yeah. And I started noticing a lot of my friends were working in film in some capacity. And then I ended up being roommates with a uh, second AC who was in a camera department. And uh, I didn't know graphics was even a position in the art department. So I would go out with my friends and we'd run into other people, but I would never find anybody that worked in art department. They were like nowhere to be found. Uh, my friend was in camera. He had no idea either because, you know, he's on set and art department is in a production office. But long story short, I got on a reality show as a set PA and then I met uh, a girl on that. And then she was going back to Vampire Diaries season four. And I went in for an interview for an office PA job and uh, things just happened. I was kind of like the right place, right time and met the art department coordinator and went down and talked to the production designer. And then I left and they called me and I was hired for season four. Um, and that was my first job in the art department for a scripted show. That season four of Vampire Diaries or which one was yeah. it? Yeah, Vampire Diaries, yeah. So yeah, it was like a big learning experience for me because I, I didn't even know how production ran, right? Like I didn't know, you know, I was kind of learning as I went but, uh, you know, this is a show that was very established. It was in season four. So it was a lot of people that had been there since season one. So I'm like the new kind of person in the art department. But, uh, you know, I kind of uh, held in there and made it. And it was like a long 10 months. But, uh, yeah, that was like my first, like, kind of uh, introduction into, you know, doing graphics for film. Nice. Yeah. So you kind of talked a little bit, too, to me about, like, the structure of it. So it's not not only did you have to kind of weave your way and find your way in there, but then after like getting hired on to a job uh, specifically, how, how does, how does the union get involved with that? Or are you part of a union, right? Or like, how does, how does that work? Right. So I'm in four, seven, nine, and the unions make contracts with the shows that come into town. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of, they're not really responsible for finding you a job. So uh, you have to go in and kind of make your own deal. They have like, a, you know, a set rate that's under their union umbrella. But, um, but yeah, you go in and you make your own deal. And from there, you hopefully can meet people that will help you get, you know, your next job. So um, hope that answered that question. Or that, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's a lot, uh, there's like that umbrella of the union that uh, basically makes the contracts, but then you still have to do a lot of the uh, connection. So it's a very connected based work where you find somebody, they like what you're doing, and then you kind of can weave your way further into the industry a little bit that way, right? Something like that. Right. Like they have an availability list. Um, a lot of people probably get hired, I'd say through word of mouth and, um, you know, with your experience too. So, uh, Yeah. Nice. And so like when you're working on these projects, um, that is that how you get more projects or like, so say uh, season four, like they just loved you working with you. They'll be like, all right, would you like to work on season five or like you start looking at other options or how, how kind of does that work? Um, yeah, I mean, after that season, I was kind of worried because it was my first show and it was mm -hmm. uh, 10 months, but, uh, I didn't go back to that show. I actually went on to, um, like they had a spinoff show 
I got a call for that one. So starting out is a little rough. I'm not going to lie. Um, you just got to kind of make friends and hopefully make some good connections that will, you know, be beneficial later on. And also just, you know, do the work and, you know, hopefully people like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, almost all jobs, you got to show up and do a good job if you want to keep working right. there. So that makes sense. Uh, you know, just, but it's special, I guess, in this industry because of how and how the contracts are based. You work kind of through a season and you're making connections along the way and finding kind of new paths through the industry rather than just instantly being like in a, in a regular in-house job. You're like, just a salary, you're here, you're working on whatever projects are coming through the door, you kind of have to navigate that a little bit yourself uh, and find your own paths to some degree. Right. I mean, it, uh, film, I think people probably look at it from the outside as uh, even my friends, they're, they're always like, what are you going to do next? Are you worried? And, you know, I'm not, not, not necessarily at this point in my career, but I understand it too when I first started. Like, you know, if you are fortunate enough to get on a series, right? Like if you start at season one and then you can do season two and season three, that's kind of what happened with me on Stranger Things. Yeah. Then for those three years, I knew like I had this job to go back to, right? Right. But also, you know, you want to keep meeting new people. So you got to stay relevant in that aspect. Um, I wanted to get into more features too. I like doing series, but features is nice because it's like one script. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of focus on that. Um, but yeah, it's, you can, you know, you kind of, you, you have to kind of work with what makes you comfortable. So some people do like to work on series because they're long runs. It might be six to eight months. Like the stability is there. For me, I kind of like to jump on projects that are maybe like three to four months. And then if I totally just get worked on one show, I'm like, I'm going to take, you know, a month or two off. Nice. But, uh, you know, everybody's different. So that's cool. Yeah. That's like a form of flexibility in a way. Like you can kind of, you know, so you don't burn yourself out, kind of feel like the vibe out. Like if you, and if you tried an eight month show and you're like, well, maybe this time I'm going to work just in a shorter period so I can break off a little bit uh, when you need it. That's, that's cool. That's, that's an added benefit. Um, right. Yeah. On working, uh, you know, another unusual thing, I mean, it seems to make sense, but the hours, could you talk a little bit about the hours? Cause I know in general, it's different than uh, after we talked than regular again, in-house where it seems to be more of a consistent nine to five. Uh, it's definitely a little bit different in the industry, right? Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, I, there is a, I'm, I'm finding now most shows, especially for graphics and set designers, I should probably also explain the different <laughs> positions in the art department, but, uh, but to get back to the hours, um, right now I'm finding most shows are, you know, hiring graphic designers, set designers, like on 10 hour days, which 10 hour days are still long, but, uh, you still have, you know, there's still, a little bit of time to get stuff done during the week after, you know, you're off of work, but uh, yeah, 12 hour days are very tough. Yeah. Especially if you, if you do them for five or six months, you kind of, uh, you can basically disappear uh, into your work and, you know, you kind of pop it on the end of the show and your friends are like, where you been? I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> been on a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, some people, 
I like working tens. Some people like working twelves. It's all it all depends on the person, really. I think that makes sense. It's just something to be aware of too. If anybody here listening, like if you're getting in the industry, it's definitely not the typical work hours, and there's going to be uh, compressed timelines, basically. So like, yeah, uh, working for a four month period, you might be working a lot of hours, but then give you kind of some time after to to rebuild a little bit of that steam, so you don't get burnt out. But it's certainly a little bit more. Uh, intensive than a lot of the jobs that we've been interviewing. Not to say people aren't working hard in these other jobs, just to say there's just a lot more like 10 hour days is, is uh, common, common for you. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, yeah, I'd say that that's probably the standard. Um, yeah. But, you know, and there's, don't get me wrong, there's days where, you know, schedules change, actor availability becomes an issue. Obviously, COVID has been a huge thing. Well, uh, things can get moved around in that aspect, um, which is very difficult on the art department because we kind of have to have stuff ready for the shooting crew to, you know, do their thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, there's some days you may stay later. Some days you may get out a little earlier. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's like a little balance there, depending on where you're at in the show. That makes sense. Um, and you were just talking a second ago kind of about what are the positions? So, you know, PA or like, could you talk a little bit about those? Uh, that will lead into some other stuff that I'd love to talk about. Right. So I'll speak for the art department first mm -hmm. and foremost. So like art department, there's the production designer mm -hmm. and there's one, of, there's one of that position. And then you go down to art directors. Most of the time there's multiple art directors, depending on how big the show is. Like I've been on shows that have like four or five art directors and a supervising art director. Wow. Um, under that, there can be assistant art directors that help the art directors and they kind of, uh, you know, they communicate through their position with other people in the art department. And then you have set designers. They're the ones designing all the sets that are being built for construction. And then, and then the graphic designers are under that, I would say. And I've started to notice lately, there used to be like one graphic designer on each show and it was very... Uh, demanding i would yeah. say for Same. sure yeah yeah i mean it it's tough like, especially if you're doing uh you know a period film where everything needs to be recreated you know what i mean yeah but uh yeah there could be one graphic designer could be two or three or however many and then yeah then you you have an art department coordinator and they're kind of like a backbone of the whole department um and then you'll have some art department pas yeah that makes sense. And I guess leading from that with the hierarchy in general, uh, we talked a little bit about how you identify like what you're going to work on on a project and it can vary uh, dramatically. So how do you kind of go, how, how does the work come to you and what does that look like? Yeah, in general, uh, when you start a show, let's just say a movie because mm -hmm. it will just stick with, it's one script. Yeah. So you read the script. Uh, you kind of, in your position doing graphics, you kind of see what's on the, you know, on the page and what's called out. And uh, I, I normally do a breakdown for myself. Um, there's also art, director, art directors that will do that as well for you. Um, but yeah, you basically just have to kind of come comb through the script, you know, write down everything that kind of stands out that you know, like I, you know, there's going to be an arcade or you know, and we're in the '80s, so it's going to be, you know, blah blah blah. But uh, yeah, then you kind of talk with, from there, you will talk to the production designer 
you know, and kind of get their idea of what that is. Usually, you know, they, they have an idea and they sometimes, you know, they'll have like great research, which is very good. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you kind of do a little bit of research on your own. Um, but yeah. And then from there, you kind of, they break down the schedule of the shooting and then you see what's up in, you know, up in the schedule and what's further back. So if you see a very like heavy set that's graphics heavy in the front of the schedule, then you're kind of focused on that. And then, you know, everything else kind of falls into place. That makes sense. Yeah. So you kind of build out from the script, what you're going to be doing, coordinate with the art directors, make sure you're on the right path and kind of uh, do your own research to add your own flavor to it, but then really kind of create all these from start to finish, however, however you can go through it, basically, uh, as long as you've got the script, that makes sense. Um, right. Very cool. I think from here, uh, I'd love to, now that we got a little bit about the industry and how it functions, kind of dive into some of the projects that you worked on, uh, you know, as an Atlanta native, everyone knows kind of uh, stranger things. So it'd be awesome to be able to, oh, yeah, we're going, hold on. Let's kind of talk a little bit about that, uh, especially it's everyone's kind of dream to work on a, a film. So, you know, being able to work on this next Netflix original is pretty awesome and would love to hear about that. So uh, if you could dive into it and talk a little bit about some of your favorite, most challenging moments while working on the project. But start before we dive all the way into that, uh, kind of talk a little bit about how you landed the job again and then kind of move into it. Um, well, Stranger Things, uh, I was in a, I was in Savannah and I got a call from a friend who's a set decorator and she said it was a cool project. And once I got back to Atlanta, I kind of just started and yeah, that was a special show. Um, you know, I read the script and that was kind of before, uh, I think Netflix had done any of their original content. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the first season was great. Um, you know, it came out and I don't believe Netflix did really any marketing. And I just saw it kind of turn into this huge, like, phenom of a show. You know, I was there for season two as well and season three. But uh, yeah, I guess what you have on the screen here, that's from, that's season three. So just to give you an idea, I don't know, Lucas, is it okay to just kind of talk about yeah, this? Yeah, let's dive into okay. it. Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah, this is one graphic example, so let's talk about it. So this season, we had an entire mall, right? So it's like in the 80s. It's a ton of work. We had another graphic designer that came on named Drew. So Drew focused on a lot of, like, the heavy lifting for the mall, and then I was kind of concentrating on the other stuff uh, that was coming along and, you know, the other uh, scripts and whatnot. But... Uh, so this was a scripted set in the mall and it just, you know, usually if you're working with another graphic designer, things get kind of divided up and I just happened to get this uh, set. So basically ice cream parlor, obviously the two characters work here. So got with the production designer and we, you know, he gave me some references. We kind of went through kind of like in, you know, probably in, in any other job, you if you're doing uh, design or creative, you, you know, you go through sketches or you do some, you know, research and kind of put some rough stuff together. And then from there, we kind of landed on this and, uh, 
yeah, it became like the the branding of the store. And then, you, you know, besides like the big scenery, like the sign, right? The branding, you'll yeah. see like little, not little stuff, but like the menu that goes inside the, in the, in the, you know, the store or whatever, or, or the set. And then there's even little things like the tag that the character is wearing uh, with their name on it. And then other little details that you may not notice when you watch the show, uh, graphics kind of get into that. But um, yeah, that was a fun one. I, I saw they took this and I think Baskin Robbins did like a pop-up uh, <laughs> shop with this. So uh, I saw photos of that and I thought that was kind of, you know, it was interesting to see in the real world. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's that's definitely one thing that you're always when you first start in graphic design. I feel particularly like uh, want to see your stuff in the wild, but it's particularly cool when it's on a film and then also gets carried into a bunch of other things that you you didn't even like kind of predict that it would be. Um, you kind of talk about some props that were made with some of the graphics that you you also put together and how these attention to details, right? They like get carried into them, right? Right um yeah besides like i you know this is like scenery and branding of a set but you know i think i have uh something that i sent you as far as like a prop would uh a good example would maybe be like a map that uh yeah you know they the script reads like you know a character is kind of trying to find where certain things are happening in the city right so the graphic designer has to build this map and you're not in like a real town so um <laughs> maps are hard uh <laughs> maps are really hard to make and uh newspapers are hard too but anyways uh, like you know you have a map that's like a hero there's a newspaper right there so uh that's hawkins post so that's a prop too yeah i think that's the prop master's daughter on the front um which people will do that you know funny. <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's funny when that happens but um yeah you know these things they felt the whole screen, as you can see on the left. Uh, so a lot of attention to detail, as you said, and hopefully nothing was misspelled there. Um, <laughs> uh, but, it's uh, one of those things you, you might lose sleep over, especially as a newspaper. I mean, it's funny because I think as a graphic designer, I, I can relate to it too. It's like when I put out a report or something of that nature, like all those attention to details, thinking about them all, um, not everybody looks at all those details all the time. So it, for you particularly, it makes a big difference, uh, but it also can, an example here, show up all the way on the big screen where it really matters a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's been occasions where stuff I did, I did not realize <laughs> that would be the case. You know, I didn't, basically they call this like an insert shot. Yeah. But yeah, stuff like that, you know, fills the whole screen up and it's very clear as day um yeah wasn't there one like a you said you built like a sign and you had like your uh initials not this oh well this is sign. let's talk about this one too um okay. this is a pretty major prop i mean that was huge in the in the show well well i wouldn't no this is not really a, so a prop is anything someone touches but uh yeah so these this is our signage basically but uh gotcha. kind of on the lower right here that's a little crappy Frankenstein photo I did of uh, someone gave me like a photo from a location scout. Yeah. So I kind of photoshopped the Greyhound bus in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you can see in the top frame, that's kind of uh, how it turned out. So, 
you know, we get real signs made. Those are like vacuum formed, uh, vacuum formed signs, BUS. And then, you know, that's a period correct Greyhound bus, which we do a lot of that with graphics. We have to kind of uh, research that and have, you know, we have a picture card department that will do like a full on vinyl wrap. So it looks authentic. Um, but yeah, the arcade sign on the left, that was a fun one. Um, you know, and that we spent some time on that one that you know some stuff kind of you're not really uh able to really be precious about it but yeah. uh fortunately with that we were because that sign ended up being like probably 10 feet wide you know it costs a lot of money too it's vacuum form so it's like period correct and you know it's right in the frame so it's cool you know that was a fun one that's really cool i mean do you get to keep any of these props? I just want, I mean, no props, sign it. I'm just curious. That's just a side note. You know, I used to, I used to keep stuff and then it just kind of becomes clutter. Like if I had a <laughs> garage, maybe I'd probably yeah. do it more often now, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I did like the mall directory for Starcourt and I have like a sample print that we did. It's like in my closet. So Very sometimes, cool. but you know, it's, it's kind of cool to look at, you know, after a couple of years, but, you know, I may end up having to clean up a little bit and unfortunately throw it away. Yeah. Um, well, let me know if you're going to throw any of those away. I'd love to check yeah. that out. Uh, but other than that, so I guess talking on uh, kind of production of, of props and signs, it's a little bit unusual because I think also now in this time of everything being digital, this is a lot of print work. So color yeah. corrections and, and stuff like that. So how how is that process of like printing at such a large scale? Um, yeah, you know, uh, besides things like this, we'll do things that you can't, uh, that are not produced anymore, especially on these older shows, uh, period shows, like wallpaper, flooring, linoleum, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we basically have to create it from scratch. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, use, Pantone books. I go uh, to the vendor and we do, I mean, I've gotten samples of some things that could have got into like the 20th or 30th pass before we actually pull the trigger on getting it made. Right. Wow. And, and color is so subjective as we all know. So, uh, yeah. you know, there, a lot of eyes go on it, but yeah. Um, sorry. I'm like, what were you asking again? No, just basically like how you, manage these large-scale print projects with color it's like uh again you got yeah you have to get it tested check all of these colors make sure because it's going to be on a big screen if if it's not perfect color do they edit it after or how does that or, or, or i don't know i'm just curious about the whole process because it's such an unusual print scale right and you know i think i think you know we do samples obviously then we choose one and uh you pretty much nailed on the head every time, but the way my mind thinks is like what you're saying in post, there's going to be color grading. So, right. but some production designers I work with, they kind of know what the final, uh, like how the, they've asked these questions. So they'll choose some colors that are like really uh, bright and uh, vivid, but they know they're going to very like desaturate things later in post. So you kind of look at stuff and you go, oh, that doesn't look, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. but they know that. And it's something that I don't necessarily know at the time, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously things get tweaked uh, in post for sure. 
that's interesting too that you said so they might err on the side of like brighter so that they can alter it so like brighter is easier to alter i guess than having something printed maybe at the exact color yeah i think that i think the uh thought process with that is like they know they maybe know things might get desaturated and they still want some pop of color so they may go brighter you know what i mean um yeah. but yeah that's a whole nother world though i don't yeah, okay yeah <laughs> yeah at least they got yeah some people working uh on that that's awesome um so i guess another question in terms of delivering these massive things i know that you go through the script and in terms of managing your own expectations for what you're you can do and, and can't do how, how do you kind of go about that process when you're reading through the script sorry what i missed the last part yeah, just like you're managing your own expectations, right? So if you read through a script and you know you have to do, there's like 50 graphics or something. Um, how do you go about creating those graphics over the time period? Like the arcade sign might take you uh, is like a week by itself or something. So how do you how do you know how long or how do you manage those expectations? Well, that's all you know. That's where obviously I, I have an idea of this and, and also like art directors will have an idea of this. Like if you're going to make an arcade sign like that, that's vacuum form, the vendor needs like probably two weeks of lead time. Right. So yeah, like you said, get it designed, get it signed off and then get it to them as quick as possible. And then from there work on stuff like that's a little more manageable. I mean, neon signs probably take, I don't know, three or four days of lead time, but you know that we have we have like scenics that come in and hand paint stuff that we often kind of mock up for them or give them pounces for so they can they can do that i'd say relatively quickly um but yeah the bigger signs and stuff that takes time and those are the ones you want to like definitely make sure you get the ball rolling on as quick as possible that makes sense yeah so like identifying those up front or even if they're not the immediate necessary need kind of being able to put them in the queue earlier uh, makes sense. Um, right. So you talked a little bit about there was an award for this show that you attended. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, so I'm local to Atlanta 479, but there's a art directors guild. Uh, it's 80, g 800. So they do like a, uh, an award ceremony every year. And the first two seasons, of uh, stranger things we were nominated and i actually i went out there for the first season and that was fun you know you go to la you dress up and i ran into some people i've worked with in the past and it was actually it was good uh just to kind of network more because yeah. that point i mean I, when i started stranger things i still wasn't like you know i had been in the industry for I don't know, three or four years honestly it was a great opportunity i got pretty lucky um but yeah that they do an award ceremony for like the art department and I've been nominated twice. And then, uh, I worked on Loki and that got nominated and won. So, uh, you know, it's cool. They send you a certificate, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then networking, like you're saying, I mean, that's part of the job for you. Uh, so getting that opportunity by itself, just to talk to other people and meet up is probably awesome. Yeah, and honestly, uh, you know, working in film too, you make a, like a lot of lifelong friends. So running into people at events or, you know, even just when you're in between shows and maybe you're going to restaurants and stuff, uh, it's just fun because I've, I've met 
some of my best friends are definitely people I've met in film. Um, it's just, uh, it's cool. It's like, uh, you kind of run into all the weirdos of the world and, you know, <laughs> they're, they're very like creative and, uh, smart people. And, uh, they really, you know, care about what they do. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. So I guess from here, we can move kind of into the kind of final segment. Um, as cool stranger things is, uh, it's just kind of the surface of the projects that you've worked on. Uh, there's so much more going on in the film industry in Atlanta, right under our noses. I mean, I've seen the signs, they're everywhere. Uh, and it doesn't seem like we're stopping anytime soon. So I guess in the last segment, I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about new projects you're working on and also hear about some of your reflections of the past 10 years in film. So we can kind of start with what you're working on with Apple and Amazon currently. So it's on a... I was on a Beanie, a Beanie Babies movie for Apple. Um, I don't know how much I can really talk about right. that. It's it's out there on the internet. Um, you could like Google it, but uh, yeah. So uh, I finished that show, or I I worked on that show, and then I uh, went on to a uh, Amazon. I'm on an Amazon show now that uh, I'll just say Donald Glover is involved with, and it's cool. You know, yeah. it's uh, I'm used to working on more like period shows, and this one's kind of more set in present day. So, uh, other than that, I don't want to speak too much more about it. Um, yes, but, but it's cool though. I mean, and I will say that you know, working with these different companies like Netflix versus Apple versus uh, Amazon for art department and graphics in general. Uh, you know, we have to do we have to run all this stuff through clearances and there's lawyers and uh it becomes a big headache it's actually gotten a lot more tricky uh i'd say in the last five years and i will say for sure working on that apple show was probably the hardest time i ever had with clearances um netflix is pretty chill with everything and amazon has been great so far too otherwise it's you know usually when you're like designing something if it's not used in a uh ill manner like if someone's not like grabbing a liquor bottle and hitting it over someone's head or something it's usually you could use it as it's intended so yeah. okay but that's, that's something to think about like if you're you know working in film as a graphic designer you will have to deal with clearances it's uh it's not scary but it's just kind of like i'm i'm not like a lawyer you know i don't, I don't really know much i know what we were supposed to do and what we can't do but uh it just gets kind of like you get cop and red tape a lot. I could see that. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's going on film. So, so many people are seeing it. And obviously uh, that puts their eyes on it. Um, we did get an interesting question here from Kelly McAdams. I'd like to ask you. Um, she asks, what is the most requested skill set, task, and our program required for graphics work in the industry? Um, I don't. I think you kind of have to be a Swiss army knife as far as like what you can do. I mean, I use Photoshop, obviously illustrator. I use illustrator quite a bit and I'm like Photoshop, obviously a lot too. Um, I would say very be, you know, if you can be very proficient in those programs, also like try to get as fast as you can. Cause you know, you're on these like real tight deadlines. Um, but I will say this too, if you're, if you're like a person that's doing graphics or you're graduating and you have like an illustration background, that's a huge plus, I would say for sure, which yeah. I don't have. 
And you're talking about like uh, hand illustration, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just I think that's uh, you know, the graphic designers I work with that have like an illustration background, they blow me away. I mean, I, I really respect that because I cannot draw worth a shit. So <laughs> um, I don't really have I don't have time, and I was always pretty bad at. it. I think some people are just you know naturally good at it, or uh, they've worked at it, um, and it's cool to see because I I feel like they do a lot of like interesting things to me because I can't. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's always, hopefully that, yeah. Hopefully that answered the question. I don't know if it did or not, but. I think it did, yeah. And I think I answered another question too about what are some skills or areas you had to develop, oh, that you had to develop that you wish you had in hindsight. I mean, I guess kind of uh, with the illustration having to draw and sketch out things, is that right? Or is there anything else? I wish I would have gotten more into 3D uh, concept artwork sooner. I'm kind of starting to do that now. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole another position that you can do in art department is like uh, concept art. Um, but that's something I wish I would have started kind of messing around with like two or three years ago. I'm, I think I'm behind the ball, but I'm trying to kind of, uh, you know, get more familiar with it. I, I'm, I use Blender, but I don't know. I, I love seeing concept art and those artists are like, they're so talented to like see what they do. That's awesome. So that's that's a particular role by itself, like concept art. So like, is that fall under art direction, you, or PA, or uh, what? I think you're like your position's illustrator. So okay. uh, right, but a lot of, a lot of them are you know they're illustrating and they're doing a lot of stuff in 3D. So and a lot of set designers will design in 3D too, um, and they can uh, render out a set. And that's a uh, you know good for a visual for everyone to kind of get the idea of. You know what they're working on that makes sense. yeah i mean the script can only go so far with the words so yeah definitely bringing that into the visual yeah aspect. yeah oh. so everyone's a you know people want they're very visual they want to see stuff you know it's kind of weird you know as far as set designers go like i have a lot of respect for them their jobs are really hard they're like they can just crank out sets but we're getting in such a weird time in the industry where you know the set the, the set designers like the drawings need to get to construction for them to build but a lot of times they want to see everything in 3D. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, so they're kind of taking on another role. And, uh, but, you know, it's kind of how the industry is going. Everyone what kind of wants to see a final finished product before, you know, it gets built. So I have a question on the 3D. Is it, I mean, now we have VR too. So like when you're saying 3D, is it like literally like maybe VR or like more of like a 3D like set uh, that's a, like a flat image. Uh, no, it's a 3D render, but I mean, that's yeah. a good point that you're bringing up with VR. Um, I was working with two set designers on the last show and they were using, uh, I don't know, is it like Unreal Engine or yeah, something? Yeah, Unreal Engine or something. Yep, that's definitely Yeah, and they, and they were like designing sets, bringing into that, and then they were doing like walkthroughs with the director. That's which awesome. I, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I think that probably happens more too on bigger shows. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. It's funny too. Cause you just, you know, you can kind of mess around in the set, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know about, uh, what's AR augmented reality. Yeah. That would be like, you put your phone up and it shows something like you're looking at oh, it. Like you're, yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see why they couldn't do that with, a. Uh, with the programs they have. I guess you just have to kind of be in a space where you can actually walk around without bumping into stuff. Right. Right, okay.
That makes sense. I mean, that's cool. I mean, it's, I mean, it's cool to see them kind of adapting, but you're saying too, to everybody who's potentially looking to get into to this industry, obviously you've talked about print as being something that's major because you have to actually make the props, but, and the signs, but then this, the illustrator and the kind of setting up the, the scene side of it, maybe 3d is, is one of those things that you wish you'd maybe got more into and you're starting to get into now. And also, will continue to be valuable in the future with things like VR. Because, I mean, a lot of those things that you make in Blender, it seems like you could just put into, through Unreal Engine, uh, a 3D set. So just interesting to think about. Right. And I, I'm still very novice to that whole part. But yeah, I think there's a lot of people that maybe have graphics as a background that went into, you know, concept art. They got into 3D early. And, uh, it's, to me, it's just, I just, I want to keep learning. So that's kind of something I'm just kind of keeping an eye on right now. You know, when I have some downtime to, you know, mess around in. Makes sense. Gotta stay ahead of the curve. It keeps, keeps going. So, um, another thing, we had another question that came in here. I was going to ask something a little bit close to this. I'll ask hers. Sarah asks, what's your biggest tip when it comes to networking? when you're first starting out, since most of your connections have been through word of mouth? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. And honestly, I didn't have any, I had to kind of figure this out on my own. Yeah. Um, as far as networking goes, I think, you know, at this point, there's uh, stuff that, you know, you can find, you know, I'm not really big on social media, but I'm sure there's like, I think there's an Atlanta, uh, art department Facebook group on Facebook. I just said that twice for some reason. Um, I think that's a good uh, resource for sure um, to go on there and, you know, and there's a lot of times people will be looking for, you know, a position or something for a show that, you know, they, they need the day of or, you know, things go, things move fast. Um, but I think uh, other than that, I don't really, I don't know. I've had, I've had people email me before and I try to be as helpful as I can and, uh, you know, pass along resumes and stuff. That's like cold emailing people. That's not, you know, I wouldn't say that's not a bad thing to do. I, I'm not going to say you're going to get response from people and, uh, if they're really busy, but yeah, it's tough. But I think once, once you figure that out and you get on your first show, it becomes a lot less, uh, harder. That makes sense. And yeah, you, you talked about, um, I mean, we've talked about this on the show in general about how just reaching out can work. So like, never, don't be afraid to just send an email. I mean, it might not yeah. always work, but it really, it actually is a successful tactic. So definitely just, just try it. And then showing up, like you were saying you were on the set, I think you were talking about with Vampire Diaries and how like, it happened so fast. Like basically you're like that you just met somebody that you were talking to and they were looking for somebody. Then you sat down for an interview. Right. And then like, they called you like on the way home from, from the interview. Right. I went from working on this, like, you know, my first taste of the, I don't know, the industry of working on a, you know, a crappy reality show, which I had a lot of fun on, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I, I just met somebody on that and yeah, they kind of all just, you know, worked out. So so yeah, just I guess, being I guess there's, there's there's no right answer to it. I guess yeah, it'll if you really want to like break into the industry, you'll figure out a way for sure. Like there'll 
you know, send some cold emails out, get into the, the groups on maybe Facebook. I don't know what else is out there, but uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, just kind of being there and finding your way. Um, on, on the union, we have one more question here. Like, at what point do you join a union or is it kind of part of the process when you're working on a project? Um, so like a graphic design job in the industry is a union job. So any like skill or craft, you have to be in the union to do. Gotcha. Um, there might be, I guess if you started a show as like an art PA and then maybe you started doing, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you have a degree in architecture or you have a degree in graphic design, you, you know, you're helping the set designers do, uh, set designs or you're helping the graphics person with some extra stuff that they can't get to you know maybe during the show you can bump up and you know join the union and that's uh you know i've seen that happen before um but yeah i mean for me i i just immediately started uh and i had to join the union yeah makes sense so it's kind of part of the process when you're getting into it yeah yeah but uh you know i think i think if, if people went and did uh, like if they were rpa first i think that's a huge uh like like just stuff you need to learn like i said i was learning all this stuff on the fly and i probably looked like an idiot for sure <laughs> but you know you you have to kind of just keep the ball rolling and you know forget about stuff and just kind of just absorb as much as you can while you're on the job yeah. Oh, and yeah, on that, on absorbing and kind of like being prepared to do anything, that was another thing we, we briefly talked about. We're coming to the end here, but when we were talking about uh, kind of what you're capable, capable of doing and what you can't do and kind of being able to say no to some things is okay, but also being able to be like, I want to do it. So like, what's that kind of balance there? Yeah. You know, you set up some guardrails for sure. Like, uh, like me, like I said earlier, if, if a show hits me up and they're like, oh, it's gonna be a cool, fun show. It's a Disney, blah, blah, blah. And there's like all these spell books. I'm like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, not even gonna touch it. Yeah. I'm not gonna A, be able to do it. Um, and I'm just, uh, you know, I'm very uh, upfront with what my skill set is. You know? yeah. I think I have strengths in different areas and also I have weaknesses like most people. So uh, yeah, you just gotta kind of set up healthy barriers uh, or whatever for, um, you know, and I think most people do respect that you can't do everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are very talented that can handle a lot of stuff. And, you know, that's that's cool, too. But, uh, yeah. That makes sense. You, yeah. yeah, you just got to kind of just know your limits and don't, you know, don't, you know, don't agree to do something that you can't do. I've kind of uh, learned that the hard way, which I could get it done, but it's not worth losing sleep over. And, you know, in my own opinion, some stuff like that, that I'm not very skilled at ends up looking like crap. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't look like crap, yeah. maybe just to you. but <laughs> Like good enough, I guess. Yeah. I so, yeah, a, a healthy balance of knowing your limits, being there to try to get the job, too, and being like, I'll try it if you're, you're willing, but don't like over, just like anything, too, in any job. Yeah. You don't want to say, yeah, I can do that. And then you've never done it before and you got like a crunch time to do it. So. I guess right. everybody out there kind of balancing that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, just know what you're good at. And then, you know, if you have time to do other stuff, then try it, you know.
and always keep trying new stuff too. Like you're saying, like with 3D, like just try new thing because then you can add that to your skill set, right? Right. You know, I'm, I'd say hopefully, you know, if I continue to work in film, maybe in the next like three or four years, I'll be caught up enough once I've actually started kind of like diving into concept art and doing the 3D programs. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm literally just getting into it. So it's fun, but I can tell it's going to be a, a huge learning curve. And um, which is that's part of the fun of it, too. It's kind of just like I said, learning new stuff, you know, Absolutely. keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been really great, Heath. Uh, I think that was a great yeah. note to end on. So thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, everybody here listening in. Uh, this will be up on YouTube. We'll post it on our Spotify channel. Uh, so if you want to listen again, check it out. Uh, we're getting a lot of thank yous. So uh, again, I appreciate it so much, Heath. Cool. Thank you all. It's been fun. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll have a great rest of your day. Uh, take it easy. and We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.